And we're really excited about what we're doing on the iCasino side because we see that as a um, kind of a greenfield opportunity. What's the expression? Uh, sports book for show and iCasino for dough. Uh, let's not forget that the majority of these revenues are generated on iCasino. And the, the, the holy grail is how do I connect a sports book user to my iCasino in a thoughtful way? Hey, this is Jesse here, and you're about to hear my discussion with Chris Reynolds from Epoxy.ai, which is a personalization technology company providing tools to develop new forms of customer acquisition, engagement, and retention. We covered a lot of ground in this episode, including how Chris believes artificial intelligence and machine learning will be leveraged by the betting industry, how personalization helps operators drive core KPIs as they all push on towards profitability, and Epoxy's recent $3 million funding round, which included a big name strategic investor that wasn't mentioned in the press release. I had a great time talking with Chris, and I hope you enjoy this one as much as I did. This episode is brought to you by GeoComply, a leading provider of cutting-edge anti-fraud and geolocation solutions that detect location fraud and help verify a user's true digital identity. All right, we are back once again on the Betting Startups Podcast. And with me today, I have Chris Reynolds from Epoxy.ai. Been really looking forward to this one for a while now and been lots going on on your side, most notably with the recent funding announcement. So really excited to dive into everything you and your team are up to. And obviously with AI being what it is in the headlines right now, very germane to your business. But first and foremost, just to check in, how are you doing and how's everything going with you and the team right now? Thank you. And great to be here. And thanks for having me. I think we've been talking uh, about a, almost over a year now about potentially putting this together. So I'm glad that it, uh, it finally came together and um, really excited to share our story. We're good. Everything's great here. We're busy, uh, probably busier than we've ever been because of some of the things you just mentioned. AI and ML are just kind of on the tip of everyone's tongue and how they can be applied to the gaming industry, specifically the sports betting industry. That's the big question that we're, we're looking to answer for the market. Awesome. Well, I'm going to hit you with a question here right out of the gate before we get into anything epoxy related. Given that you're playing in this world of personalization and customization and using big data to enable it all, what does the word personalization mean to you? Sort of how do you define it? And I guess, what does it mean to you within the context of digital experiences? Yeah, and that's a great question, Jesse, and, and happy to answer. It's actually fairly simple. When most people think about the digital experiences that they use on a daily basis, those experiences are really tailored to um, their needs, their needs uh, and the context of how they're using them and when they're using them. So if you think of services like Spotify, if you think of services like Netflix, YouTube and Amazon, other e-commerce services and content services, and even your banking services, they're all in some way now kind of tailored to you. The things that you engage with, the things that you may be interested in, and also some new things that may be introduced to you based on some of the data that you provided, um, that digital experience or that digital operator. And so we looked at the tactics kind of being utilized pervasively uh, across digital experiences and, 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 and thought it made a lot of sense to bring them into the, uh, the sports betting uh, industry, the sports betting market. Yeah, absolutely. I can't help but agree with that. I've been looking at the same A to Z sport list uh, in my sports book of choice for the last 15 years, and it hasn't changed despite the fact they have troves of data on my player behavior. So yeah, happy to see you guys entering the ring here and hopefully bringing a bit more dynamism to that experience. But I guess just starting at the beginning here, Chris, um, it'd be awesome to just learn a bit about yourself. If you could grab a couple minutes here and just give folks listening a quick sense of your background and some of the major chapters of your career up until co-founding Epoxy. Yeah, sure. So I've been really lucky uh, to be working with the same group of kind of leaders for almost the last 15 years. 
My business partner and I, we built a company called 12C back in 2010. And that was really centered around fan engagement and personalizing the fan engagement experience. What we were building at the time and, and, and wound up eventually selling to, to Comcast in 2016 were um, game center type services that could be integrated almost anywhere. It could be integrated next to a video client. It could be integrated as a standalone experience. And we wound up kind of developing that, that technology with the same core team um, and licensing those services and, and the core technology platform to companies like Samsung, companies like LG, companies like AOL, Rogers up in Canada and Bell up in Canada, uh, where they were using our technology to support a bunch of different use cases around fan engagement. Sometimes we had partners that were using them literally in the broadcast. And then other times we, um, like what we did with Comcast, we integrated a, a, a game center experience into their video set-top box environment. And so as you were watching a game, you could hit a button on the remote, and still can today, hit a button on the remote, and it would uh, manifest a, a game center that was following all the action around that, that particular matchup, all the team information, the matchup information, but then also provided you the ability to kind of look around the league or leagues that were supported through the experience. Um, we worked in, in the fantasy space, kind of bringing personalized fantasy into those environments. And so my partner and I and this team spent a lot of time building fan engagement technology from the conceptual level all the way up to the enterprise level and um, have tried a lot of things, have been successful. Some of them have definitely made uh, a few mistakes or fumbled the ball, uh, excuse the pun, a few times. But um, it was really kind of the work that we did in fan engagement and the work that we did at, at Comcast that led us to where we are today. We were fortunate enough while we were at Comcast to uh, understand or, or, or to start seeing kind of the, uh, the, the blending together of major media and sports betting. And at the time, and still to this day, those have been primarily driven by branding efforts and advertising efforts to create new customers, to get people interested in sports betting by putting sports betting brands next to sports content. And while um, some of that makes sense and, and does work, we always felt that, and still do obviously to today, uh, that using technology at a much more granular level in the experience itself would um, drive a closer uh, correlation or combination of sports content and sports betting to bring that user, frankly, what they wanted when they wanted. And that's kind of the business that we're in. Gotcha. No, I mean, your background is obviously hyper relevant to, to what you're doing now. And I'd love to just understand the origin story of the epoxy AI. I mean, as you say, your team uh, back at Comcast did all of these things sort of adjacent to what you're doing now. But talk a little bit about the origins of it and, and maybe what you saw at that time that sort of led you and the team to have the distinction that personalization was sort of the next great frontier for you guys and obviously sort of embarked uh, you on the mission that you're currently on. When we were at Comcast, we were intersecting with, at the time, this is back in 2019, early 2020, every major gaming operator here domestically, we were talking to about bringing a betting experience into a video experience. And what we, and while that's an interesting opportunity of its own, what we saw and what we understood was, wow, all of these experiences look the same. They all frankly do the same thing. They're all basically chasing the same customer in the market that they go into. And what's a, um, a powerful way to drive differentiation in the space on the product side, but also provide an opportunity for those same operators to potentially bring down 
uh, their customer acquisition costs, help them drive things like retention and lower churn. And we quickly came to the conclusion the best way to do that would be through personalization services that we could then license to betting operators. And so where we started at 12C and we sold that company to Comcast, when we started having these conversations with, frankly, that same team, we agreed that this was interesting enough to potentially go out and start a new venture. And so we, about four of us at the time, and the rest of the team wound up joining us shortly thereafter, went out and kind of set up shop on our own, put our own stake in the ground. We left Comcast. We self-funded the business for almost, almost a year. And then we went out and did a kind of a friends and family round to help kind of scale out and build up some of the technology and, and to start proving our thesis. And then we started hiring more people and those people all for good or bad were all the folks that we worked with before. And we've been lucky because the team that we have in place has a really unique skill set. And we have a tremendous amount of trust with that team because we've all been working shoulder to shoulder together for so long that we were able to kind of accelerate things in a way that we normally wouldn't have been able to. And so when we founded the business, self-funded it for a bit, raised some friends and family capital, primarily from the investors that had a nice outcome with our last business. And as we've grown, we've continued to raise capital along the way and kind of upping our game a little bit each time, bringing on either um, some really interesting funds or even strategic investors as well. Awesome. We'll come back to a few of those points in a few minutes here, Chris, but maybe let's just do a bit of a deep dive now on what exactly the offering is and, and sort of where it is in the market. So again, for the benefit of folks listening that might not be familiar, can you just give us a high concept overview of what Epoxy does and maybe what customer problems is it addressing? For sure. And so at a very high level, what we have is a um, an AI and an ML-based technology platform with a service layer on top of it. That service layer provides access to personalization services that our partners like gaming operators and even some leagues and media companies use to create truly personalized experience at the end user level. And so we primarily support or sell three products and we sell them through APIs. We license our APIs. We have an SDK and... Um, because of the way that we've integrated with a few of the gaming platforms, we also have some off-the-shelf plug-and-play services that make it very easy for our partners to kind of plug in personalization into their end-user experience and, and get to work very quickly. What they do, are, it's kind of very simple what our platform is, consists of. The first product we have is called Audience Cloud, and that really is a service that um, our partners use to get a much better and much thorough-looking understanding of their users. So uh, from a betting operator's perspective, how do their users bet? Where do they bet? What type of propensity do they have to bet? Uh, what types of bets do they make? And over time, do they, does their behavior change? We look at all of that data anonymously and we group users together based on their uh, habits, characteristics, and traits. Then that allows our partners to use our recommendation engine to target those users with the appropriate offer at the appropriate time. And then finally, we have a service called Connect, which basically enables a, a betting operator, a media company, or even a platform to connect disparate types of content into a, frankly, a portfolio or collection of things. So what do I mean by that? If you open up a, um, a Spotify app, you see, well, Spotify might not be the right, the right example here, but inevitably, we believe this industry is going to move into a direction of when I open up FanDuel, when I open up my DraftKings app, when I open up my Fanatics app, these companies do more than just e-commerce or sell you betting offers. They're in the tick, well, they're in that, they're in the virtual and hard goods business. 
They're in the daily fantasy business. Most of them now have their own forms of video content that's piped into the experience. We can help our partners put all those things together around a specific matchup, around a specific player, around a specific team. So if I'm Chris and I like the Phillies, I'm here based in Philadelphia, when I open up my DraftKings app or my FanDuel app, I want to see all the information about the Phillies. And that's really what I'm interested in right now, this time of year. FanDuel probably has video content associated with the team or certain players on the team or a specific matchup. They might have some editorial content. They may have the ability to sell me a hard good or a soft good. And they also might want to put an offer or a bet in front of me uh, around tonight's game. Our service Connect enables our partners to put all those things together seamlessly and really get the most out of their investment in those quote-unquote, ancillary or other primary assets. Gotcha. No, I appreciate that overview. And look, when you say it out loud, it makes a ton of sense intuitively as to why we need this. But I think the reality is, I mean, we're you know more than five years past the PASPA repeal now, yet at least in the regulated U.S. space, I mean, there's not still a lot of personalization from a customer perspective. And, you know, there is a massive gap there. And, and you and I talked actually in our prep call last week, uh, my experience formerly with an operator and overseeing product for that operator and trying to implement some semblance of personalization. I mean, it's it's a challenging task from an operator perspective. And I guess I'm curious, Chris, you know, as you're out there now having conversations with operators and, and, and looking to implement your solution for them, you know, what's some of the sentiment you're hearing around where they see personalization sitting within their roadmaps? And ultimately, like, is it a priority for them now? And particularly given in the U.S. that you know, market access and, and market expansion is, is you know, slowing down a little bit. I mean, there's not many more markets to expand into. So that focus has to go elsewhere. Do you see, I guess, some of these things like personalization now sort of being more feasible now that there is a sort of that focus and attention available from the operators? Just sort of what's your sentiment out there, I guess, as you're having these conversations? Yeah, that's a really good question to see. I think it's on the tip of everyone's, every operator that we talk to or platform provider or even technology service in the space. It's on the tip of their tongue. It's something that everyone agrees there's no dispute, right, that the personalization is going to have and should have a significant impact on the industry and on the market. But going back to what, what you were just talking about as far as kind of other challenges, I think, uh, that operators and even platforms have is how do I prioritize personalization when I have a gigantic marketing campaign happening over here? Yes, market access is slowed down, but it's still happening. There's a couple of big states that are inevitably going to come online, California, Texas, and Florida to name a few. And then depending on the technology stack of the individual operator, that can make things difficult as well. I mean, it going all the way back to when PASPA was repealed, what happened was you had traditional brick and mortar operators here that are based in the States really go over to Europe and license, frankly, mature technology solutions and bring those into a new market, which is great and help them kind of get up and running and, and get into markets relatively quickly. But it also brought a set of challenges um, with it as well, meaning those systems are in some ways brittle um, and in some ways complex and in some ways hard to adjust to or hard to change. And so it's not as simple. The, the, the technology integration and the ability to affect change within the client experience using personalization tools isn't as simple as it probably should be. Operators that are licensing technology don't have the control that they probably wish they would have. And then you have other, other operators that are kind of building their own tech stack in parallel to either uh, supplement what they've already licensed or to completely replace what they've already licensed. And so priorities are spread thin, right? And roadmaps are set and reviewed at some of these organizations on a quarterly or on an annual basis. And so a lot of it has to do with timing. A lot of it has to do with bandwidth. 
But I don't think, I think you'd be hard pressed to find an operator in, in this country, even in Europe for that matter, that, um, that doesn't believe in the power of personalization. It's just how simply can it be implemented and what type of return should they expect on these investments? Because I think the concept of personalization, you've seen these things before, has been around for a while, right? And, and I think some operators in the past, when the technology couldn't keep up with the expectations, may have tried some things that either worked out okay or didn't work out that well. That's changed, right? And I think it's abundantly clear how personalization has affected other digital experiences and, and, and the types of KPIs or results that it can generate as well. So someone like Amazon, at least on the e-commerce side, uh, will fully acknowledge that 38% of the revenue is generated from recommendations, right? Personalized recommendation. And so there's not a doubt that, 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 that the technology can make a significant impact. It's how to get the technology integrated in a timely manner to understand that impact. That's frankly what we deal with on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah, I can I can appreciate that. And you touched upon the notion of just timing, right? And I, I'm curious sort of how you think about that in the sense that, you know, a lot of the conversation right now from an operator perspective is a, the quote unquote path to profitability for operators. Actually, just in the past couple of weeks, I think we've seen some earnings announcements come out, which is starting to tell a bit of a story about some operators getting, you know, uh, close to profitability on an uh, adjusted EBITDA basis. DraftKings, uh, Rush Street Interactive, I think might be one more. But all that to say, Chris, taken together and talking about timing, how do you see that benefiting you and Epoxy with the KPI uplifts that operators can expect from leveraging personalization technology? How is that, I guess, sort of helping you guys as you get out there and, again, are looking to commercialize uh, your platform? Yeah, I think it's actually helping us because um, what operators are understanding is that just in, in most regulated markets, a very competitive environment, a very expensive environment, right? So they're spending a lot of money to acquire a customer. And they're also spending a tremendous amount of time and energy to engage that that user or that customer. And so we have a value prop that says, hey, look, these, these services, um, we're able to demonstrate qualitatively and quantitatively the impact that it has or will have potentially on your user experience. This will help in the following ways. Number one, drive differentiation. Number two, help you understand uh, churn reduction. And number three, inevitably start bringing down some of the costs or some of the expenses associated with what it costs you to acquire a customer. And those are the three or four kind of big cost centers with operators. And if we can help them affect retention, help them affect cost of acquisition, and then help them affect churn and frequency, uh, I think I think we let the data kind of speak for itself. And um, that message is getting through. Now, it doesn't mean anyone's rolling out the red carpet and saying, hey, let's not prioritize this or let's not prioritize that and only focus on personalization. It's saying basically what the market's saying is like, yes, we agree with you. Let's find a path forward. This is on our roadmap. And so in, in other ways, we're also helping some operators just accelerate what they've already started. Uh, most of the, 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 the bigger operators, the, the more kind of nationally uh, regulated uh, operators in the space are making some investments in personalization. And we can help them accelerate those efforts. Uh, we can help supplement those efforts. And in some instances, we can potentially provide a bridge for where they want to go and providing a solution now and helping them get to the next stage. Awesome. Certainly so far, seems like you've been focusing on the sports betting vertical. And actually just a few weeks ago, you announced a partnership with Bet Parks. Uh, shout out to Matt Cullen at Bet Parks. Um, yeah. Congratulations on, on hitting that milestone, Chris. But I'm curious, I guess, um, you know, beyond sports betting, 
What other verticals do you see opportunity in? I mean, there's the adjacent verticals within gaming, be it iCasino, Fantasy, et cetera. But even beyond that, I mean, do you see opportunity in other verticals for your technology? And, and if so, how do you think about the upside potential of some of these different verticals? Great question. And, and, and yes, a big shout out to, to Matt and everyone over at Bet Parks. They've been uh, great partners. They're truly innovative considering their size and, and, and the team over there has just been great to work with. And we, we've been aligned with them since we met them. Um, and we've been fortunate enough to help them on their journey to, to really be a significant player in the space. And so, yeah, so to your other questions, we, we've identified a few opportunities where our technology can be applied that are um, directly related or adjacent to what we're doing right now. So um, we're, we are in the process and we'll have by the end of this month, that's August, an iCasino product that, that we're going to start licensing and, and um, affiliating as well based off of the same AI and ML models that we're using to predict and, and recommend content to a sports uh, book uh, user, we're going to be, um, or we are, using those same models to affect a iCasino user as well. It's a different and, and in some ways a, a more complex problem to, to try to um, solve just because of the sheer number of games associated in an iCasino and the types of habits and uh, trends users have demonstrated in that space. That being said, we also believe that there's a big opportunity there for a number of very kind of simple and even maybe a little bit more complex reasons. The most simplest being um, you could look at almost any iCasino operator, look at their, uh, their, their iCasino and, and try to make sense of it from a game perspective. Usually the games are presented as just endlessly scrolling lists of things that you could potentially play. Um, so as basic as um, organizing lobbies is a, is a really good place to start based on user preferences, user history, and, 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 and trending data that we have. From there, um, you can start suggesting other content that's similar or like to what they're playing, looking at the types of games that an individual is playing, uh, and then also understanding what the KPIs are for the operator, okay, which may be churn reduction. So how do you affect that in a meaningful way? Well, a return to player, right? Proceeds. Um, there may be a, a higher yield a need on the operator side. So it's return to casino as far as um, proceeds are concerned. And so there's a number of different ways we're starting to employ our technology kind of across iGaming. iCasino is next. We're also starting to kind of model against the affiliate sector of our industry, where um, operators, whether you're on the iCasino or on the sportsbook side, are spending significant amount of dollars to go out and not only acquire users, but acquire the right users. And, and since we have lots of data around betting characteristics and betting history and all anonymized, we can group users and create lookalikes for our betting partners to go market, frankly, in a more effective way. And so we're just starting to scratch the surface there and started to engage with a few affiliate organizations to kind of test these models out. But we think we're going to be able to um, help bring yield up um, and cost down significantly enough to scale that business up. And we're really excited about what we're doing on the iCasino side because we see that as a um, kind of a greenfield opportunity. What's the expression? Uh, sports book for show and iCasino for dough. Uh, let's not forget that the majority of these revenues are generated on iCasino and the, the, the holy grail is how do I connect a sports book user to my iCasino in a thoughtful way? 
right? Not and and so I can get them to at least come in and explore and play a few things and hopefully come back. That not really hasn't been cracked yet. Uh, we think we're on to something, and we think we have a path to kind of solve that. I think we're going to find out by the end of the year how that how that's working out. But we're really excited about some of the um, the cross disciplinary work we're doing on both sides. Awesome. Getting to the point you're at now, obviously you've been on a bit of an R&D journey to develop the platform. And look, we're talking about very non-trivial stuff, right? Like very advanced AI and machine learning, as we talked about. And just looking at your team page on the website, I mean, it's a very engineering heavy team you've built. I'm just wondering, Chris, if you can talk a little bit about just the, the R&D journey to develop a viable version of the product that you're able to commercialize now. Yeah, it's um, it, it's not trivial by any means. And so we look at a bunch of different vector points across thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of users. Uh, we take that data and apply AI and ML models against it to, to hopefully drive a good outcome for our partners. And so we spent, to your point, we are engineering heavy and that's by design and we will continue to be. I, I think there are there are real product challenges in this space, but we're looking to solve them through engineering. Uh, we don't necessarily want to be a front end and won't be a front end company, but we've spent um, the majority of our capital that we've raised on, on building these models um, and hiring the right people to help us kind of not only conceptualize and build them, but also scale them. That's the other big challenge in this industry is that you can go from zero to 60 overnight, depending on who who your partner is and, and, and some of the things that they're looking to do. And so we've also taken kind of great pride in, in, in the folks that we've hired based on those skill sets that you just mentioned. We have a really unique combination of engineers that, that understand data just in general, myriads and, and disparate sources of sports and, um, and, and betting data. And then when you uh, layer in, they also um, they also have a, a unique understanding of the media business just in general. And so, yes, we uh, we spend a lot of money on engineering. That's really kind of our secret sauce. We've we were smart enough this time with this business to kind of create a, a patent moat around some of the work that we're doing, and that is based on that's truly based on our AI models and how they're being deployed, and some of the technology that we developed to, to kind of manifest these experiences that operators are using. And um, I like to joke that our CTO is really the CEO of this company because uh, he gets all the money to spend on his resources. My partner and I, and we have one product manager, kind of do everything else. And so, um, but AI is expensive for a lot of different reasons as well. AI engineers are not cheap. They're very difficult to find, especially competent ones. And so we feel like almost blessed that we have the team that we have in place. And we take great care when we add new new folks to the organization to make sure that they're the right fit. So it works for them and works for us. So we can kind of continue to move forward quickly because there is a time to market component to all of this, uh, whether uh, whether or not we'd like to acknowledge it. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess just talking about the, the money required to spend on these engineers and all of the talent that you have assembled, I mean, it requires capital. We've alluded to the fact you've recently announced a new multi-million dollar raise. So I'd love to just quickly ask about that before we get out of here today, Chris. The announcement a couple of weeks ago was 76 Capital, which was an existing investor, has doubled down on Epoxy and, and led your most recent round with participation from some other investors. Yeah. Can you just give us a bit of an overview of the round and, and maybe just give us a sense as to kind of who else is on the cap table and maybe yeah. where the pro seeds will go and what milestones you're working towards with it. A hundred percent. And so we've been, um, we've been really lucky to have um, some great funding partners since we founded the business. 76 has been with us almost since day one. And Wayne and the team over there have frankly been incredible to work with. They're very receptive, 
very proactive and are just frankly great partners. Um, so we're, we're lucky to have them as part of the cap table. Uh, we brought on some new money as well from folks like Andover Ventures, who's an early stage investor in, um, frankly, the gaming space and has made a couple of investments in the real money gaming space. And, and, and we, we, we really like the folks there and, and their participation to date have been extremely helpful. I mean, uh, raising money is like honeymooning in a lot of ways, right? And so you can hit it off well with an investor and you hope that that relationship continues to kind of be fruitful for each party. And we've been lucky that, that it has been. And then the other one that isn't mentioned in the press that is um, very strategic for us, very important for us, and very exciting for us was Aristocrat. And so we had been working with Aristocrat for almost a year, kind of talking about how they could participate in our business. Uh, when this last round of funding came up, they raised their hand and said, we'd love to come in. We really like the team and we like what you're doing and we believe in it, most importantly. We understand if they're trying to digitize their business and they want to do things around sports in a more meaningful way and also apply these models to their iCasino business. And so that that's worked out very well. And we raised in this past round about three million bucks. To date, we've raised about seven, seven and a half million. So uh, it sounds like a lot of money and I'm not, it's not trivial. It is. But um, we could continue raising money until now and the end of time, I think, based on what we're trying to accomplish. And so we've been very cash efficient with how we, we put our money to work. And regarding the milestones that we're looking to accomplish this year and early next year, it's iCasino number one. Uh, number two or 1A would be we're personalizing kind of parlays in a unique way as well. We're rolling those out around the NFL season, and we believe we're the first company in the market to help or actually deliver one-to-one -one personalized parlays to the end user. As you know, most of these things are manually curated and manually delivered. Uh, we've automated that and are delivering those recommendations through our through our AI platform. And then thirdly, how can we apply those same models into the affiliate space to help our same partners, frankly, save money on, on the cost of acquisition of a new customer, help them retain that customer, and hopefully drive that customer back into their experience more frequently and, 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 and spend even more. Well, lots of ambition and no shortage of things to, to focus on and work on and get done here. But if you had a crystal ball in front of you, Chris, you're looking into it and five years into the future, what does life look like for Epoxy AI? And in, I guess in your wildest dreams, sort of where does it sit within the landscape? Yeah, we're excited about the future for a lot of different reasons, mostly the ones that we hit on. We see continued growth in the sports, the sports betting space. We see uh, a, a renewed or rejuvenated focus on the iCasino space. We know the market's going to grow just based on uh, the regulatory market or effect in the United States. I'm waiting for states like uh, Texas, California, and Florida to come online. That's you know probably north of 100 million more potential uh, users right there. Uh, we see significant investment continuing to happen in this space. I think what you're going to see from a product perspective is a, um, a greater focus on personalization. I think you're going to see the gamification, if that makes any sense, of a, of a sports betting app. I think they're going to become more user-friendly. I think they're going to become more understandable. I think they're going to become more trustworthy. I think they're going to become less complex, uh, more understanding is a, better, is a better way to say it. Because I, at the end of the day, going back to when PASPA was, was repealed, it was all about how do I get the non-betting the non user or the very casual user to engage with these services in a much more meaningful way? How do I turn them into a frequent user? 
That hasn't happened yet, and uh, it, but it will. It, it's going to have to for this industry to continue to be successful. And I think that's where we see a really big opportunity for epoxy. Uh, we want to continue to grow with the space. We want to provide our partners with the solutions to kind of do those things, make their experiences more personalized, more contextual, easier to understand, and more trustworthy, right? If you were to put a, an existing betting application today in front of someone that doesn't bet, it's not that they don't trust the service. They don't trust what they're doing because they don't understand it, right? We're, we're still operating on using language that was set up during the prohibition era, right? <laughs> to evade a federal regulators, right? That means nothing to a casual user or a non-user, right? And so I think the experiences themselves are going to change in a very meaningful way on the client side, uh, which I think will be a good thing. Um, and we want to be there to support the market in a, in, a, in, a, in a more global way, frankly, as we continue to scale. Awesome. Well, that leads us to my standard closing question, Chris, which is this. If you weren't working on epoxy, if you weren't doing anything with artificial intelligence or machine learning or any smart stuff like that in a parallel universe, what would you be doing instead? Oh boy, that's a great question. I own a surf shop somewhere. I think that's what I would. <laughs> that's what I would do. It's kind of my favorite hobby: uh, wake surfing, surfing, and mountain biking. So one of those three. If I could make a living doing that, I think I'd be happy. But I don't know how challenging that would be. Um, I'm really into the challenge more than anything else. We have a track record and a history of kind of conceptualizing technology at the startup level and bringing that to an enterprise solution. That's what kind of gets me up in the morning. And that's what kind of makes me be engaged every day. And so it's hard for me to think how I would replace what I'm doing now with something else because I'm so into, I'm frankly obsessed with what we're doing right now. And so, um, but great question. Great question. Cool. Well, well, maybe there's a middle ground where you can develop some surf tech or something like that. Yeah, right? yeah maybe. <laughs> it's a big market, so you never know. <laughs> cool. For folks listening that would be interested in checking out the product, getting to understand it better, and or getting in touch with you and your team, where can you point them towards to do all of that? Uh, our website's a great place to start. It's epoxy.ai. Our name is our URL. And we're available via LinkedIn and our info uh, button on that page. You can reach out to any of us and uh, we'll we'll get back to you. Awesome, Chris. Well, look, really great to, to have you on the pod and congratulations on all of the recent success and milestones and looking forward to continuing to follow the story. Really appreciate the opportunity. Thanks for having me on and uh, look forward to chatting again soon. Thanks, Jesse.